my heartbeat, tired of feeling never enough. I close my eyes and tell myself that my dreams will come true. There'll be no more darkness when you believe in yourself. You are unstoppable. Welcome back to the Taiku Podcast. Chris is with us. Hola. And Tom is also here. Hi. Uh, we're here to talk about Sayo Yamamoto's uh, Yuri on Ice, and I have brought the two uh, Sayo Yamamoto geniuses that I know on this episode. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I don't, I don't know if I agree with that label. We we spent a lot of time studying yeah. her stuff, but Tom kept up with it, whereas I I didn't because she hasn't made anything in the last four years. <laughs> well, she's made smaller things, um, episodes and openings and closings, but yeah, nothing quite like uh, an entire series. Um, probably the most substantial was the Space Dandy. Uh, episodes. That was a good episode, the Tampopo episode. Yeah, she did that one, and she also did the one with the the rock and roll episode where they decided to start a band. Was that Space Gangy too? Yeah, that was the second season. Of Space okay. Gangy. I don't know so, if I remember that one. Um, it, it sort of started the, the the process of getting to Yuri on Ice, kind of artistically, and um, actually the um. But Atsushi Kamijo, who did Toy, who did the character design for the prince, also did the character designs for her Endless Night short, which is kind of the pilot you know, film for Yuri on Ice. Yeah. Um, so it, there's kind of a straight line you could draw from uh, Space Dandy to Yuri on Ice. But yeah, beyond that, she only does a series every four years, it seems. So, uh, she saves us from the terror of election years. Yeah. I keep being as good as this, that I'm all right with every four years. Well, I would rather have, you know, these kind of quality shows more frequently. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I agree. I agree that the four years is worth the wait every time, but I would like them to come more frequently because they're they're good. I enjoy watching them. <laughs> I don't want to wait four more years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you two did the uh, did a Sayo Yamamoto panel. What uh, what all did you watch for that? What was uh, the preparation like? <laughs> Literally everything she had done up to that point. It was uh, it was for Anime Fest 2012, uh, the year uh, the her Lupin series came out. So it was it was like literally everything she was associated with up to that point. So I watched like I watched one episode of Eureka Seven, which was like more than I'd ever seen before. Um, it, all of her openings and endings. Yeah, back before the big YouTube scrub, you could find all the openings and endings on YouTube, and that made that part fairly easy to do. Um, I had actually bought things like. Ergo Proxy and Technolize and just hadn't gotten around to watching them yet and yep. then I did um, uh, I, we skipped out on some things like I, I didn't watch Dragon Drive because I could never find like what she did on that and I'm not going to watch a whole I mean, I mean I'm sure it's a respectable show but like I don't know if it was like 72 episodes or something and 
Yeah. Well, well yeah, we, yeah, we had no idea what it was she actually did on that. I think it was the same thing with the Evangelion 2 movie. Yeah. I haven't, she, she's just listed as a, a storyboarder for like one scene, but what scene was it? Well, Some of the Sasuke people has, have said it was the, the flashback of Misato's where it's kind of done with that chalky style that she later uses in the Attack on Titan ending. I, I buy that theory. But I, if it was just storyboards, they wouldn't have carried over, you know, her artistic sensibilities for the scene. Yeah, that's true. The the other big question I had was Redline. I still, if I go to Anime Fest this year, I will be. I have to ask what what scene did you do in Redline? Well, I thought I thought we figured that out because um, uh, we we. So I did I did all the I did most of the technical stuff for that panel. Um, so and and the Redline piece was the hardest part because ripping from Blu-ray sources and trying to make really shitty wave files is really hard. <laughs> uh, but I, I thought we, we pinpointed it was the scene um, in the, uh, in the dining room uh, where the two leads, they're, they're, uh, they're yeah, eating that, that's, that's what I had heard, but I, I'm not sure if that's ever been a hundred percent confirmed. Okay. I, 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 the only reason I remember that was because that was a scene that I, I cut out and we still couldn't use it in the panel because my laptop broke in the middle of it. <laughs> Your laptop broke in the middle of the panel? I couldn't use my mouse for some oh stupid reason. <laughs> but uh, the, the big takeaways we we had were uh, uh, Samurai Champloo was ma- uh, pretty major. Technolize, it was pretty much too early to get a distinctive read on her. Yeah. Ergo Proxy was after Samurai Champloo, and so you could kind of see her distinctive touch in that. Um, yeah, that, that that one was more of where you see... Uh, so be, before... I think it was before Ergo Proxy, she, she did storyboards on uh, Magical Shop Abenashi, however you say it. Yeah, and that and that that was that was kind of that episode was kind of funny, but her Erga proxy that was more of the type of humor that she would incorporate more frequently um, after Erga proxy. So that was like the big like comedy piece for her was that episode of Erga proxy. And and then she also did the panty and stocking, which yeah. was pretty. That I don't even remember what year Penny and Stocking was, but that was after she had finally did Mich- Michiko and Hachin, if I remember right. correctly. That was that was 2010, I think. And uh, I think her Eureka Seven episode was pretty substantial because uh, she did. Uh, if anyone like knows Eureka Seven, you know, like the back of their hand, it's the crazy episode with all the uh, chalkboard pastels that Tom had mentioned before. Um, that she's kind of favorite, uh, kind of favors, and it had the hallucinatory uh, paper crane scene in it, um, which are both really emblematic of how she approaches some, you know, more surrealistic effects. Uh, she doesn't get all kinds of crazy weird with it, but she'll do these really artistic flourishes that seem outside of what the show is that you're watching without feeling too weird. Um, so I think that Eureka 7 episode was really important. And, and then that was another collaboration with Dai Sato. She, she did several shows with 
that's Samurai Champloo. She did Fujiko. She did Aerial Proxy with him. Uh, yeah, the, the Arika 7. Um, so they've had sort of a, a collaboration. Um, but yeah, Yuri on Ice is sort of, no, she did work with, what's his name, but way back on Abenabashi, the Tada, Tada, Hiramatsu, Tadashi Hiramatsu, the guy who did the character designs for Yuri on Ice, did the character designs for, um, Abenabashi. And you can kind of see a lot of the similarity because, uh, I have to say, coming from Fujiko and, uh, Michiko and Hachin, Yuri on Ice, or, and even Endless Night, it's very goofy. <laughs> I think I don't know if any of us were expecting the first episode of Yuri on Ice to be quite what it not, was. Not at all. Because like Endless Night is very serious and somber, and then uh, that so much doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's well, there's a, like a couple minutes in the first episode that are uh, kind of somber, I guess, but then it pretty goes goes pretty wacky pretty quickly. Yeah, it's. Her main series, this is only her third actual, you know, directed series. You you couldn't place this anywhere um, directly, but it, it has all those elements. It's goofy and it's serious, but it's also kind of playful, which is what she typically does. But this was just way off the goofy scale. Um, when I watched the first episode, I was telling Corey, it reminded me of uh, his and her circumstances. Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. The, the opening episode where just the, the way that it would change to the chibi and be extremely goofy. And I just remember Corey was like, how the fuck do you get his and her circumstances? <laughs> I was like, simmer down, simmer down. <laughs> There's no, uh, no, that's, that's actually the other show Hiramatsu worked on. Oh, is it? The, the key animator of Yuri on Ice, or, you know, one of the 96, he was the animation director uh, of Yuri on Ice and his and her circumstances. So, it it really is. He has that art book now, uh, out from Comicet that has both. Um, you, it has a Benabashi uh, drawings in it, and it has uh, his and her circumstances, and it has the Yuri on Ice ones. Uh, the other notable thing he's worked on is Parasite, but we don't. <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about Parasite on this podcast. Um, but. But yeah, no, that that's that that is exactly what it's like because it's the same guy. Yeah. Awesome. I feel good now. I'm done with I'm done with the episode. I feel, I feel validated. <laughs> uh, so before we uh, start talking about the show proper, what were your uh, what were your before show before the show came out? What were your impressions of it? What what did you expect of uh, Sayo Yamamoto's next show? I expected almost exactly what we got, because um, in the context of the show, the, the, the super overt comedy that, that his and her circumstances, wackiness and silliness kind of died away by the fourth or fifth episode. And then it really focused on uh, this the skate tournaments and the way that it plays those tournaments with the, the overt sexuality, um, the coyness, like all of that. Like it's exactly um, her Lupin, her Michiko and Hotch, and that's her style. And I, that's exactly what I was expecting. You know, okay, so 
the woman who likes to make anime series for old women that has overt sexuality, um, doesn't really pander to younger audiences, except it's about dudes figure skating. Well, everybody knows figure skaters are stereotypically gay, so let's add that into the mix, and it's literally that. I, I got almost exactly what I was expecting outside of the first few episodes. What about you, Tom? I guess um, I didn't really know what to expect for her next project. I've remarked a couple times that I was I had put on my anime bingo that I was looking for a Dirty Pair reboot. Um, and there was the the brief confusion moment when it was called Yuri on Ice, and everybody thought it was like lesbians. Yeah. Um, but then I noticed the, 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 the Macron or the, the long U, which wouldn't work because Yuri Kumarashi didn't do that. So I was like, oh, I bet this is going to be about something named Yuri, isn't it? <laughs> and it was. Um, uh, and yet basically looking back at everything she's done, I don't think she's ever done a sports series ever, uh, even as sort of a guest. Nothing and, even related to sports that I'm I'm thinking. Yeah, of. and she she had never really done sort of a pretty boy series before, besides her second Space Dandy episode. Um, so it was kind of both sort of uncharted territory, but also with sort of expectations of that she would take it uh, further or, or differently than a lot of the the sort of. Um, Fujoshi series had up to the point. That said, I, even I'm very surprised about how how far it's gone. Uh, perhaps I, I shouldn't. <laughs> but but <laughs> I, I mean, I guess seeing people on, on Twitter being um, excited is is one thing, and that's not really surprising. But seeing like how far it's sort of mainstream reach has extended is is perhaps more surprising for me. Yeah, um, I, I agree that like the mainstream reach really really shocks me because really like I, I haven't finished Michiko and Hodge and I'll come right out and say it so to, uh, so Corey doesn't shame me on it later. But you know I saw the first half of it and I've seen Lupin like three times. Like this is almost exactly like the same type of show. And I always felt that Michiko and Hachin and her Lupin should have had wide reach, but people yeah. are just weird and they just, you know, people didn't take to it for absolutely no real good reason. And Yuri on Ice is actually kind of niche. And this is the one that explodes. Like, but it, but it's, it's, you set it up side by side with her other main series and it fits um, pretty darn well. I think I just, I just can't believe, I can't believe it. Like maybe it is because people thought it was pandering at first and that's what people like is pandering shows. And then she drops the bomb like halfway through and it's like, no, this is for real. And people just lost their shit and liked that instead of it, you know, starting out, from that point. But I'm just like, I can't believe like how many people are watching this, like actual figure skaters, random people that are like, I don't even know what anime is. And Yuri on ice is amazing. Yeah. That, that was I, like surprised me a lot. Is like actual figure skaters are watching this. Uh, 
uh, NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour name dropped it. Like, one of the host's daughters was watching it, and he was like, I don't get this at all, but my daughter, who was never excited about anything, is watching this, and is like, cannot wait for the next episode. It was very weird. I think I think the thing that took me by surprise is, like, I think her name is Sarah Jiang, writes for Motherboard or whatever, made the the comparison of saying, like, oh, it has better writing than Cowboy Bebop. And, of course, among the the casual fan, Cowboy Bebop is, like, up there. That's, like... That is the holy shrine. There is literally nothing better than Cowboy Bebop. Yes. So it's, like... uh, (laughs) Spoilers, it's entirely true, but everybody knows I'm a a well-known heathen when it comes to the Bebops. Uh, So, but, uh, getting into Yuri on Ice, what is... What is what is Zero Day on Ice? What is the show about? Uh, Tom, you want to break it down? It's be- it's like I was saying. It's kind of an extension of the Endless Night short. I, I don't know if either of you watched that. I I started watching it, but my internet pooped out on me, and I never got back to it. Uh, is it still out there? Because I know that all those animated yeah, they got all, things they got, all took got down. Out. I think it's on YouTube. But basically, okay. it's that was sort of about a young skater who idolized a older skater and then they skated together eventually and it was kind of a music video kind of thing so that kind of basically takes that concept and flushes it out to where you have a a japanese young japanese skater who has idolized this russian skater um the japanese skater being yuri katsuki and the older skater being uh, Victor uh, Nikarov or something. Uh, my Russian is not. That sounds far. right. Nikarov sounds right. Um, who decides to, or he has a, a massive like failure of a of a season, and he's thinking of quitting. When uh, he decides to skate uh, Victor's routine in his um, childhood friends. Uh, skating rink and just as a side note that that was one of the most surprising there was that twist in the first episode where you it's like he has his childhood friend and you think it's gonna go somewhere with the childhood friend and then she ends up being married with three triplets horribly obnoxious triplets (laughs) but hilarious uh, which was sort of uh, another narrative shock and then uh victor sees that and from what we can tell at the time, he's moved in some way by the performance and decides to come to Japan and be his coach. And it's the story of his going through the season with his idol as his coach. And there's also the third Yuri, or I'm sorry, it's second year. There's only there's only two years. Um, <laughs> the which is the Russian Yuri, who is sort of his uh, foil. In a way, as he's sort of overconfident in a way, and it's just following all of these skaters with different nationalities and personalities through the the Grand Prix season. But but it, but it feels like it it accomplishes more than that as well. So, but I guess that'll work as a as a basic summary. Yeah, that is uh, that is the basic plot of it. But then there's also um 
like the the character relationship between Yuri and Victor that grows from coach and student to uh, something much more, and the gradual reveal that this relationship started earlier than uh, Yuri remembers it, certainly. Yeah, yes, spoilers but... for anyone, this show is totally gay. Like, very upfront with it. I know we've said that before in the past, because a lot of sports series, they do essentially queer baiting you know the, oh that character is totally gay for that character but none of it is is text it's all you know subtext uh fan service fujoshi bait etc etc yuri on ice is straight up no these are gay characters in a gay relationship and that and that itself is very different from what we're used to not just with sports anime but anime in general and a lot of media that's it's still very rare to have stuff like that in uh, western entertainment uh, it's it exists but it's it's pretty small but in anime and sports anime it's like no we're actually going to make these characters gay and in a relationship that's no but i don't think anybody really saw that coming uh no well some people probably saw it coming or wished it was coming but uh i don't know if anyone could anticipate the level at which they went to it if they were very familiar with anime and anime's trappings. Yeah, well, of course they wished it. You know, every show, you know, even, you know, Haiku, you know, Haiku. I always do that. <laughs> um, you know, it, it has fans that are like, oh, man, I totally want that character to tongue that other character. You know, that'll be amazing. But, th- you know, that's never actually going to happen. Um, that's where the whole shipping uh, sub-fandom comes into play, you know, it, Everybody, that's what they wanted when they started watching the show. Little did they suspect they actually got it. There were some complaints, though. Like, they were comparing it, people were comparing this to Sound Euphonium and being like, um, why can't Sound Euphonium go to the levels of Yuri on Ice? Because Sound Euphonium is made for guys. <laughs> it's, it's a KyoAni show. It's, it's, it's a pandering show. You know, no matter how good it may be, I haven't watched it. Um, it's it's still a fan servicey anime show, you know. Sayo Yamamoto, you know, all of her previous works, like I mentioned, she actually goes in. I want to make a show for adult women when they come home from work, so that they can relax, just like all the men and boys and otaku and children get. I want to make shows for adult women to come home in and enjoy. Yeah, she she specifically said that about. Uh Michiko and Hachin, and that was her first series, and I don't expect her philosophy has changed. Yeah, well, and even Lupin, you know, is also had that very similar tone. You know, a lot of the quote-unquote hardcore Lupin fans, this isn't true Lupin. It's like, well, it's yeah. not made for you to be true Lupin. This is Sayori Yamamoto making a Lupin show about her favorite character, the woman, for other women who loved Fujiko when they were growing up to make her more than just you know, the sexy woman in the, in a man's show. That was her whole point behind that Lupin series. You know, I, I haven't seen any interviews with Sayo Yamamoto because she's really private, but I'm willing to bet, you know, like Tom said, her philosophy has not changed. This show feels exactly like that, which is different than Sound Euphonium. She, she did do an interview with the uh, Kubo. What's her name? I think it's Mitsuro Kubo, the, yeah. the mangaka who she teamed with. Um, 
I read one wow. interview with Kubo, but I don't think it was conducted by Yamamoto. I thought it was yeah. conducted by someone she did else. Just the one. Since then, Kubo has kind of become the face of the show because she's she she did the basic. After Yamamoto came up with the basic idea of the plot, that Kubo fleshed it out and actually drew sort of rough manga sketches of the entire show. So there's sort of a rough draft of a manga available that someone would be stupid not to, to publish, I assume. <laughs> oh, it's probably people... already published. Say, like, someone in Japan, like, they're trying to print it off, and they're like, come on. But, uh, so she's she's been doing the majority of the interviews, and so it's gotten almost all sort of critical discussion of the show um, outside of, like, Anna Twitter itself is kind of talking about how it's it's Kubo's show, and, and Yamamoto's kind of been erased from the conversation, which is really upsetting. Like even that the yeah. one interview with Kubo I read, Kubo she says no, this is entirely Sayo's show. She came up with it, she fleshed out the story. I just filled in the details and came up with what the characters could even look like. She didn't even do the character designs for the show. She said, okay, here's what the characters look like, and still had a character designer do it like they do normal manga adaptations. Yeah. I mean, this is entirely Sayo Yamamoto's show. They, she just had a manga artist help her, you know, come up with more than here's my idea and here's my outline. Which oh, I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to detract from Kubo. She did great work too. But I have yeah, seen no, Yamamoto has been erased, and that's really messed up. Yeah, no, that's that's unfortunate. And all, all both. I mean. Hiramatsu, I think, especially in the earlier episodes when he didn't have to have so many key animators helping him, he had a, that he explains the, uh, his and her circumstances fail of it. And of course, Kubo, with a, with a manga that's basically doing both the writing and the storyboarding herself. So that was extremely valuable. And, but yeah, um, hopefully, hopefully that gets cleared up a little bit by the anime fest because I'd hate everybody to, go in asking Kubo questions and just ignoring Yamamoto. Right. Oh, I'm sure there'll just be some asshole there asking Yamamoto if she can marry him again. Again? That that happened at the last anime fest that she was at. Dude dressed up as Lupin poorly in Japanese tried to ask her to marry him in the middle of a panel. It was upsetting. That's very upsetting. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to bring back bad memories, Tom. <laughs> Uh, that's fine. Uh, so what did, uh, what did you both think of Urian Ice on Hole? I know there is, uh, wide claim that me and, me and Dana watching together, uh, she was clapping along with the audience whenever they finished the, the skating routines, and I know we both loved it, but what did you guys think? Um, I could go first, I guess. I liked it a lot more than I expected to. Um, like I was, I, I, I was coming into it, um, it, it being very different, uh, a new project than what I was expecting. Um, but I, I enjoyed it from the very first episode. And Tom, you're, and, not, you're not a huge fan of sports shows to begin with, and this is certainly not a sports show in the mold of like Haikyuu or something like that. Like with Ping Pong, it helps that it was 12 episodes, or it, it was... Um, a lot of the, the sports episodes, series that are harder to get into are the ones that just go on and on and on. 
because it becomes a lot more of a, a time investment. I guess the last episode leaves me with mixed feelings um, because basically when you kind of leave the door open, I guess, we, first of all, we don't know if there's actually going to be a second season. I, I'm, I'm going to assume it, there will be since it's selling extremely well. The first volume sold like 35,000 copies or whatever. I, I, I read that the Oricon later updated that to 55, like that there was an error on their first report. Okay, then, yeah. Um, I would <laughs> safely bet. The first time I watched the last episode, I was upset because I felt like it took an ending. It kind of, it could have ended definitively in a stronger fashion, and it kind of rolled on that just to keep the door open for a sequel. And then I rewatched it, and I liked the last episode better, but th that's still a problem that it's interesting one of the characters at the comment uh or during the last skating thing uh states like the best stories are the ones that never end or whatever and i was thinking at the time like no i don't i don't necessarily agree with that <laughs> like like you're kind of but if if there's a second season in the works it's kind of impossible to judge the work as a whole until we see where that goes or if there's not if there's never a second season, then yeah, I do feel like it could have had a more definitive sticking with you kind of climax. If like Yuri was like, okay, I, I, I'm going to retire anyway, or Victor was like, oh, I'm going to go back. But it kind of just keeps the status quo. And maybe the second season will, will draw more out of that and it won't seem kind of just kind of safe. But beyond that, I don't really have any criticisms of it. Um, I know some people were like the minor characters didn't really get enough fleshing out. And that's true. It's the whole thing is kind of tough. Um, with only 12 episodes, just the, the whole way shows are, are scheduled now where you're kind of given the, the minimum number of episodes to make your point. Um, you can't expect a cast of 50 to all be fleshed out. That's just kind of insane. Um, anyway, let alone with a shorter series. But I, I felt like the little vignettes, with with a few exceptions, were still meaningful, and they had her Yamamoto doing her different directorial styles and stylizations. But it it mostly all mostly all worked, and uh, uh you know people make fun of the skating animation. I think it bottomed out at like episode four or so, and then kind of picked up again. But I have a bad eye for that kind of thing. Episode three or four is where it was very, very bad, but that's all going to be fixed for the Blu-ray, I assume, because I, I know she was working on fixing Fujiko. She hasn't had a show that hasn't been a production disaster, apparently. Um, <laughs> well, and even shows that aren't production disasters, they get fixed up for Blu-ray. Like, anyone who watches the telecast and says, oh, this show's garbage because of the animation – you can't that you're you're in the wrong because they're still going to work on it for the Blu-ray. If it's still bad on the Blu-ray, then yeah, that's your sticking point. But broadcast shows they always get some kind of touch-up. I'm willing to bet that Wizard Barristers episode 11 actually has animation on the Blu-ray release. Yeah, <laughs> I, I haven't seen it, but yeah, I, I assume that's. I I remember watching that scene. God, it was so bad. <laughs> 
but thankfully that show but, was bad, so it didn't mean much. Michiko and Hodgson and and Fujiko both had last episodes that kind of left a sting of of a kind, and then I, I, I Yuri and Ice is obviously going for a different kind of thing, but I just kind of missed the finality of 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 a statement. But I guess the the, the show itself was was doing that, and we'll just have to see where things go from here. Well, Chris, what do you what do you think of the show? I loved it. <laughs> it's almost almost literally everything about the show was stunning and just incredible on on many different uh, levels. Um, I agree with Tom a hundred percent on the ending. I thought it was a good ending. I thought it ended well, but it, it it lacked. You know, you could. I don't know if it was originally designed this way or what, but it felt like it lacked a final punch. It, it felt like it it lacked something definitive to say, okay, this is the end of my story. Um, but I, I think it still ended well, even if they don't continue or if they do continue, it, it works both ways, um, which is kind of the point of it, but it, that is a little bit disappointing, but I just, I kind of loved it from start to finish um, from the very first episode where I picked up on all those, his and her circumstance vibes. Like I was just like, this is incredible. It, it 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 presents itself immediately with a sense of fun. Um, you're you're not presented a show that is like dumb and and goofy because it's dumb. You're not presented a show that's like super serious. Like it's it, it occupies this really nice balance between being goofy and serious without tipping so much either way to overemphasize. And it just becomes fun. I felt. I felt joy when I first watched the first episode, you know, when Yuri turns into the weird little chibi character and he's just tipping diagonally on the screen, um, looking like uh, Shinchan, uh, talking really fast to try to catch us up to his whole life story up to the point of the first episode. Um, I really enjoyed that. And then when we get to episode uh, five or six, where it just goes hard into sports anime mode, um, I loved it even more because the show then started to do something that off the top of my head, I can't think of any other anime series that ever did. Um, so starting with episode six or whatever, that's where they basically start all the tournaments. Um, we get three tournaments, uh, ones like the Grand Prix, you know, preliminaries to see if you get to go into the Grand Prix. Then there's the China Cup to see if you get to go to the Grand Prix final and then there's the actual Grand Prix final. And each of those is um, two episodes, one for the program skate and one for the free skate. The entirety of every single one of those episodes is you watching the various skaters do their program. So nobody changes anything because they've decided this is the choreography I'm going with. um, This is the song I'm going with. And so every other episode, we're treated to watching literally the exact same thing. We watched, you know, two episodes before. But what they, what Yamamoto did was she turned all of those programs into the character development. You know, you get 30 seconds of interaction between the characters and then you watch their skate and it's their body language and their skate, uh, it subtly changes um, every time it repeats. You get some kind of voiceover work um, from 
the the skater where you're getting uh, insight into their current mentality, and that's how it develops the characters. Um, you know, so so the, the 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 complaint that you know some characters don't get as developed as others is entirely valid, but you still get some development every time you watch that person skate, um, and that's a really really unique approach. Um, like with a lot of other sports series or anime, you'll have two or three episodes that's all character-based and character development, and then we spend an episode or two episodes, or in the case of Ace of Diamond, 30 episodes, watching the sport play out. And the sport is just the sport. It, it alternates between character development and actually playing the sport. Yuri on Ice does these things at the exact same time, and it makes it that much more interesting because I know nothing about figure skating. I could never get into figure skating every time I saw it on TV because none of it made sense to me. It's just watching a person skate around and do flips or, you know, do, do these jumps. And even in the anime, it's very difficult, um, probably just for me, uh, to discern the difference in the jumps because they have a commentator that's like, oh, that's a double toe loop. That was a triple salco. But the animation looks almost exactly the same. That's because in real life, to me, it looks exactly the same. So it's probably just me. Um, so <laughs> very easily watching these exact same figure skating routines, whether somebody lands a jump the first time and misses it the second time, doesn't matter. It can get extremely repetitive. Um, but that's the core of the series. So by making that also be the character development, making it be that is exactly how we progress this plot forward was a stroke of genius. Um, it has the best opening of all time. Um, <laughs> the fact that they had no qualms and went with an openly gay relationship um, the fact that they didn't have everybody persecuting them. People use that as a stupid ass complaint, but you know, you can go fuck yourselves. I mean, all of that was, it, it was, it's probably the most authentic and genuine, uh, relationship that I can recall off the top of my head in anime. Um, like actual, like loving relationship, uh, between boyfriend and girlfriend, boyfriend, boyfriend, whatever. Um, it was probably the most authentic and genuine of that type that I've ever seen in an anime and it was con constantly funny and intriguing and interesting. I was just Yuri on ice all the way. I was in blown away by it. Um, I don't think I love it as much as say Lupin of Fujiko Mine. Cause that show is more my standard speed. Um, which I, I don't know if anyone understands what I mean by that, but I know Corey and Tom do. <laughs> um, but Yuri on ice was, incredibly well done well thought out um i i can't wait to see it on blu-ray to see how they improve the animation maybe maybe the skate routines like i can tell the difference between a double toe loop and a quadruple whatever you know maybe maybe they maybe they beef up the animation that much to where i can tell if they missed rotations or not but none of that matters uh really in in the grand scope of things it's it's kind of weird and cliche nowadays to say, you know, to talk about a, a show or a movie that has a twist because everything's got a fucking twist. Um, but in Yuri on Ice, the, the quote unquote twist was less of a, you know, traditional, oh, they twisted it where and more of a revelation like. Like it didn't change anything. It just it it retroactively went back yeah. and modified 
what you had seen before, which is what Yurikuma Arashi did every yeah, three it's, episodes. It's, it's a very Ikuhara. I mean, not that he invented it, but it, it, it is a very Ikuhara style. Oh, by the way, this is the information you didn't know. Yeah, and, 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 and that was what, episode nine that, or yeah. ten that that dropped? And so you all of a sudden you're just like, oh, now I need to look back. Like, everything is different now. Um, every character interaction is modified. Um, and that makes it more fun. Uh, and and it opinion. does... It fills what would be the the main plot hole, which is this: why is this your wish fulfillment fantasy coming true? Like, why is this skater? He sees a YouTube video and is like, "Oh wow, I'm gonna travel to Japan." Yeah, so I, I don't think Tom mentioned it, but yeah, Victor is like the five year, thirteen million gold medal champion of figure skating. He's like the greatest figure skater of all time, or something. And Yuri is a complete failure. Uh, well, he's he, he not a complete failure. But. Well, he's, he's good enough to get to the Grand Prix Finals every year, but he keeps getting last place. Right. Um, and, and, and that had took a real toll on him. So at the beginning of the series, uh, Yuri is overweight. Um, they don't make fun of him expressly for it. Uh, they don't uh, approach that aspect of his character negatively. And... But he, he's overweight. He ranks last place. He's thinking of quitting. Um, and then out of nowhere, the world's greatest figure skater shows up and says, I'm going to be your coach. That is, that's so weird, but you kind of roll with it because of the way that the storytelling progresses. And, and by episode nine, you don't care why he did that. And then all of a sudden, you're just like, oh, shit, that's kind of incredible. You find out that he actually did it because Yuri got drunk as fuck. And asked him to. I don't. I don't know if we should say that was a spoiler or not. But like everybody should watch episode nine. That final credit sequence is incredible. <laughs> like the opening, the opening song, you know, History Maker may be incredible, but nothing beats Pole Dancing Yuri. <laughs> so good. Um, no, I absolutely adored this show. Um, I went in with very high expectations because. I am a really big fan of Yamamoto's work. You know, me and Thomas, we both, we, we didn't put in all that work um, to come up with theories. Um, basically, we, we, we were identifying her auteur theory, um, tracing her evolution, her themes, her motifs. We didn't do all that work because we felt like it, the, you know. Sure, that might sound like something fun to do, just randomly pick somebody and do that. But we did it because we were a big fan of Lupin, uh, that Lupin series. And in doing so, I became, you know, and I know Tom did too, because he actually keeps up with it. The Wikipedia page Tom built based off of all the information we gathered, um, both prepping for Anime Fest and her panels at Anime Fest. Um, so everybody thank Tom for creating and updating that Wikipedia because she didn't even have a Wikipedia page when that Lupin series came out. Um, we did this because we were fans and I keep watching Lupin and, you know, going back and, tr and starting watching Michiko and Hachin again and only to stop watching it halfway through. I don't do well with long series at home. I'm, I'm a failure at life. You know, so I had really big expectations. I was a fan. I was going in looking, hoping for the best, uh, the fact that she was doing a male figure skating anime totally didn't seem like something she would do. Um, but I thought about the possibilities that it could go. 
And I was both satisfied and surprised the whole way through. I'm, I'm an even bigger fan of her work now. And the fact that this is like this ridiculous mainstream hit, like I take it as a double edged sword, you know, is she going to just start churning out, you know, populist crap now? Or do, does she get a job more than every four years and we get more incredible series? Um, I'm excited for her. She deserves, uh, you know, all this acclaim and praise. And that's why I'm upset that she's getting erased from the conversation. Um, so, I mean, I had a lot going in and I was pleasantly surprised and entirely satisfied um, throughout the entire run of the show. Damn the haters. <laughs> If there are any out there, I'm done. I'm sorry. Okay. Just making sure. <sighs> yeah, I liked it. Uh, we were talking about um, this this relationship between Yuri and Victor, and like, are you gay, Chris? And how uh, no one vilified it for being gay. And it's, I uh, I read this other thing where it's like, no, in this. In this world where Yuri and Victor exist, being gay is no longer this thing to be vilified. And it's like there, there is so much uh, acceptance and normalizing going on with this relationship that uh, it speaks on more than just uh, a human-to-human contact-level relationship, you know. Which I, 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 I am glad to hear that. It's not entirely surprising. Um, I, I grew up around really terrible people, so all throughout my childhood, figure skating equaled a bunch of, you know, homophobic slurs. Um, that that was literally how I grew up. Um, and so it doesn't surprise me that, you know, homosexuality is normalized within the figure skating world, but, but I'm happy to hear that it is, that, that it, it's more of a this is actually how it is than a crazy gay fantasy world that some terrible people on Twitter are accusing the series of being. Uh, that makes me feel better about humanity a little bit more. Uh, there were uh, there were some complaints about the translation of it. Well, not some complaints, but the one, the one that I do remember is uh, Victor would say Koibito, I think, and uh, which translates as like lover or something but they translated it as girlfriend instead like specifically girlfriend i don't remember yeah, that. i think that was in the earlier episodes yeah when maybe the context wasn't as clear since the first episode did end off or it had the childhood friend a sort of a discarded trope that you think is going to be a you know the regular trope mm-hmm. and, it, yeah. and it kind of discards itself um so i can see that the, the the translator might just have done that, assuming um, normal assumptions about where anime goes. Um, it'll be interesting to see, I guess, if on Blu-ray or whatever when it gets released, if it's not retranslated or not. That will be interested because I I wouldn't put any eggs in that basket, but that's me. By the way, the license it, the, the license uh, is held by Funimation. So in about, maybe about two years, we'll get it on Blu-ray. Yay. Uh, they've already been dubbing it, so hopefully it'll be a little sooner than that. Look, they, they dubbed Yuri Kumarashi, like as it aired, too. That was like a year and a half. Wow. <laughs> like I said, I'm, 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 I'm such a bitter pill nowadays when it comes to certain things. Here's to hoping you know. that Japan sends over their stuff quicker. 
Uh, have you have either of you listened to the dub? Uh, I listened to like no. a couple of clips. It was kind of really weird. I haven't even listened to the dub of the Lupin series. I think. <laughs> no, I I didn't hear the dub either. Yeah, they gave everyone accents, of course. So like the Russians have the Russian accents. What did they do for JJ's or yeah JJ's accent? I don't know if they've gotten that far yet, or if they did, then I certainly haven't listened to it. It's a boot JJ style, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Look, I, I I I know, you know, when you have a multinational cast, it's important to have multinational people being multinational. You know, it's one of the things that bugs me about Western media. You know. The, the American lead flies to Germany and everybody speaks English. But yeah. when you have like people in Funimation making really shitty accents for all their foreign people, like that seems worse and more offensive to me than everybody magically speaking Japanese or English. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like Kubo having all white actors playing all the characters. All the lead characters. Yeah. No, I don't know if I'll see the dub. I just, I, I think the voice acting is really good. Uh, in the Japanese, um, I watched it simulcast, so this cast it's already cemented in my brain. Um, yeah. It's really, it's really. I when I used to watch dubs mostly, it was because that was the first way I was encountering it. Whether it was yeah. me, well, actually, I never really watched things on TV, but you know, I would randomly pick up DVDs and I would encounter the dub first. With simulcast, I'm encountering the sub first every time, and it's really hard. I haven't watched a dub earnestly in years. The last one I tried to watch was Steins Gate, and I just got kept. I just kept getting pissed off because they were ruining a really good joke every time. Um, I don't know. I don't care personally about the dub. The dubs I tend to listen to now are like Gonkuksuo. I listen to the dub just because it's easier marathon like that. It was the first. Like, it was the first time you had encountered it though. Yeah, it's an right? old. It's an old dub too, so I'm throwing in the desk. It's, the dub is by default, and the dub doesn't suck, so I keep with it. Exactly. Oh goodness. Well, uh, are we? Uh, have we gotten all of our Yuri on Ice talking out? Um, I would just say that since. Uh, Michiro Kubo's profile has been raised by this justifiably. Um, it would be good to see some of her manga <laughs> released. Um, yeah, I, did you, were you able to find scans of any of that? Cause like I looked up the, the two series she did before. I had never even heard of them at all. Um, yeah, I, I haven't read any scans. I think there are some available, but, uh, I know someone from Colony Drop wrote an article on her. Um, and her work, and she's yeah, she basically has nothing available in English, and this is her first sort of debut, and um, she obviously deserves a lot of credit for that. So hopefully, some of the success will rub off, and we can get some of her series license. I hope so. That'd be really awesome because I think that's what happened with Michiko and Hachin. You know, Funimation was hoping that the Lupin series was going to ride a bigger pony than it did, so they yeah. licensed Michiko and Hachin as well that'd be really good these are I, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be really interested to see her uh her previous work because one of them is about the the male cheerleading the on. okay um, so that's kind of sports related as well and so that's again and then she also has like a romantic comedy sign-in series so it would be interesting to you know just get it 
more. They're both really short too. Like they were like yeah, maybe were, four volumes. One of them is four, one of them is ten. So they're both Kodansha. So you could probably just like throw the four volume one into two omnibuses and call it good. Dear Ed Chavez. <laughs> Left to harass him like Ogacon. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if somebody somewhere isn't already trying to hop on it. This 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 is a certifiable phenomenon, and it's not a shonen show. It's not a dumb kids action show. It's not Naruto Part 15. It's an adult figure skating show. The fact that it's a phenomena is a phenomena in and of itself. Um <laughs> And it's it's kind of incredible. Uh, I'm really happy for it. Uh, I hope everybody tries to cash in as much as they can. Um, and anyone who who's listening that hasn't uh, seen the show yet, if you're a big fan of Yamamoto's earlier work for the uh, overt sexualization that she tends to pepper in, um, Lupin the Third being the biggest one, uh, her episode of the extremely amazing and underrated Occult Academy. Uh, yeah. Me and Tom always yelling about that show. Um, and you watch the first few episodes and you're like, man, where's the overt sexuality? Wait until you meet Chris. <laughs> like, I think Chris, you. he, you know, he might be. I do, I do have a pretty rocking ass. Um, <laughs> you know, many, many years ago, one of my buddies, uh, brother, just randomly was like, wow, Chris has a pedal ass. What the fuck are you looking at my friend's ass for? Um, so it's entirely possible he may be based off of me. Um, I do wear my hair kind of like that, but I, it, I don't bleach it. Um, he's got the kind of, kind of short trim beard. Um, yes, I am actually Chris. Um, so please look forward to my appearance in Yuri on Ice and you will see that pedal ass all up in your face. <laughs> He, he might be my, I think he's my favorite of the, the non-main cast members, um, actually. There, I, I just, I think that the, the cast was really rich. Um, every, every person was very different in personality, um, but very solidified in who they were. Um, even the Georgie, like, for some reason everybody hates him because he's a, a stalker and a creeper, but that's an incredible character. Like, he's so, over the top insane. Yeah. I kind of love, I kind of loved him. Um, and well, the, the entire the, cast, even the great villain JJ is kind of, I, JJ's hateable. good. JJ's pretty good, especially, um, at the very end, like they, they really were able to take JJ's character and humanize him to a point where like, Oh yeah, that's always kind of been JJ. But when you're an insecure person, you act like an ass. Um, JJ's good. JJ style. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't even... Was he really supposed to be the villain, Tom? I always thought Yurio... It was just Yuri versus Yurio on that kind of, uh, you know... Well, as, I don't know. As much as anyone is a villain in Yuri on Ice, and I guess nobody is. But Yuri hugs everyone. They're all friends. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good scene, Corey. <laughs> That was a good scene. But no, I think I think it's really strong on all fronts, and I'd be interested, like, to hear from someone who genuinely dislikes the, sh- the show, and to 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 hear why they genuinely dislike the show. Um, if it has anything to do with the sexual orientation of the characters, your opinion doesn't matter. 
Um, but anybody else that's out there, I would love to hear what didn't work for you because this is like, it felt kind of a little bit like a greatest hits of anime, um, and Sayo Yamamoto to me, like she was pulling from all these really classic shows that people still genuinely love today. Um, but never in a manner that felt like she was Quentin Tarantino ing it. Um, in any in any fashion, um, so it has a timeless quality uh, to it, in my opinion. Um, and I'd be interested to see if the crazy phenomenon lasts. Um, I, I, I'm sure we'll see a spike when the Blu-rays actually do get released. I think I think it has the ability to be enjoyed for a very long time. I don't think it, it's not going to be the casuals cowboy bebop or whatever, but. Yuri on Ice isn't going to go away anywhere. Just like for me, Lupin isn't going anyway away anytime soon. Yep. All right. Uh, let's uh let's close this thing out. Uh, any closing thoughts on on Yuri on Ice? You too. We were born to make history, but but born to make history. <laughs> so good. <laughs> um, I guess mostly just kind of curious to see where it goes go from here it's it's sales uh it needs for planned sequel uh maybe some interviews with yamamoto getting more of her thoughts on it but yeah it's a it's a very solid series and you you it's worth checking out yep i agree uh i really loved it i loved uh loved the figure skating which i've never understood same with you chris i've never understood figure skating but dana loves it um i uh I love the relationship between Yuri and Victor. I, I love this whole show. Uh, I'm looking forward to Anime Fest, seeing what news comes out of that. What, that news, but what revelations come out of that? I'm extremely upset that it is literally the weekend after Otakon, and I can't attend both. I know. I totally would if it was not the weekend after Otakon. Like, if it was two weeks or... The, like, when me and Tom went to Anime Fest in 2012, it was Labor Day weekend. The, August 17th is nowhere fucking near Labor Day weekend. Uh, just creeping closer and closer to the beginning of the year. Pretty soon everybody's just going to be on the exact same weekend. Oh. Nobody gets to go to more than one convention a year. Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, let's close, close this thing out. Where can we find y'all on the internet? Tom? Uh, I'm at uh, ABCBTom on Twitter. Uh, GoKoofy. At Twitter, that's pretty much it. Tom, do you do you still write for the other Chris? Uh, not currently. I sort of took a hiatus. I may come back. I'm just still kind of space. Dandy out. murdered you. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at Impassionate K. Podcast is on Twitter at Taiku Podcast. T A I I K U. We have a Tumblr, TaikuPodcast.tumblr.com, and our website is TaikuPodcast.com. Thank you all for coming on and talking about. Yuri on Ice, Zayo Yamamoto, and all things in between. Yay. I feel like I could have done so much more. I was under so much pressure and stress. I didn't want to screw this up because, like, this is probably going to be your most downloaded show of all time, Corey, and I'm terrified. No, it has to be, uh, want to be the strongest in the world. Look, that was an ironic listen for a lot of people. (laughs) Yuri on Ice is a goddamn phenomenon. Um, I've never seen your, uh, Taiku Podcast tweets get more shared than when you announced that we were going to be talking about Yuri on Ice. So, 
<sighs> I'm sorry, everybody. It's a good show, I swear. I love you all. Hey, I didn't. Glad I can hear you. Good. Did you anticipate not hearing me? Yeah, I, it, the the ringing wasn't happening. Oh. Like I just I just saw the message saying that you were calling, but there was no ringing, and I was like, "What's going wrong?" How's it going, everybody? Pretty good. I spent the morning reading half of The Outsiders and watching the second to the last episode of Scream Queens. That's a pretty good morning. I was up late watching movies, so I slept in. <laughs> what did you watch, Tom? Um, My brother went to a green box, so he picked out... What was it? One was... The first one was Lights Out... And the other, the second one was "Don't Breathe." The the two big studio moneymaker horror movies of the year. Yeah, it's not the Conjuring. Yeah, um, the latter one was better, obviously. I didn't um, see Lights Out, but I did. I did enjoy "Don't Breathe." Lights Out was was not that great. Um, did you see the original short film? No. It's so dumb. You should find it on YouTube. The, the the light on and off thing is, I mean, it's a good gimmick, but, like, there really wasn't any story beyond that. So it was really, or, I mean, there was a story, but it was it was a very dumb, bad story. Um, but, no, Don't Breathe was, was much more interesting. But, yeah, we, we'd, we've, we'd watched all these classic horror movies, so they had to stand up to a lot of comparisons. <laughs> It's 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 really hard. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. There were a lot of really good horror movies that came out this year. Don't breathe while I enjoyed it is not among them. Yeah, I know there's uh, The Witch and a bunch of others. It's almost easier to watch something bad though because you don't have to prepare for it. You just kind of <laughs> let it roll off you. Whereas if you're watching something good, you kind of have to pay attention. I guess. <laughs> I guess. I watch tons of bad things, but I take them all very seriously. <laughs> we know. 
what going through this Herschel Gordon Lewis box set is kind of amazing. 